Well, how we doing? Man, you guys, I can hear you. I can hear you worshiping Jesus tonight. Uh, thanks for that. It sounds wonderful. Sounds good. You may not think it sounds great, but I think it sounds great. Uh, thank you to Amanda and Ashley in the band for leading us here on the north side. Thank you to Emily and Blair for leading us in worship on the south side with the band. Uh, my name is Jamie, and uh, I'm really excited um, to bring the word to us tonight. I'm not bringing it to you. Holy Spirit is bringing it to all of us. This thing is for all of us. Uh, and so really excited to kind of jump in to week two of a series that uh, we're calling uh, My Secret Identity. And uh, again, did anyone, is anyone here this week because they got one of these invites? Raise your hand. It's all right. You know, don't be shy. Um, so if you did, kudos to whoever gave that to you. And thanks for coming. If you are new or you're visiting, um, we would love to, to get to know you a little bit. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that God has something fantastic for you tonight. Uh, and so uh, let's jump right into this, because uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm just ready to dive into it. I hope that you're ready to dive into God's Word. I hope that you're ready to dive into God's Word. Goodness, that's why you're here. We're not paying you to be here. So you got to be excited about something. Um, last week, uh, Mark kind of broke into this series for us. And we were, we're talking about identity. We're talking about what it means for us to have an identity. Now, when most of us think about what an identity is, we, we tend to think of characteristics like, well, my name. What does my name mean? Or, or where you're from. We, we base our own identity on maybe our, our, our vocation, our job. Or maybe it's our relationships. We are a husband. We are a wife. We are a dad. We're a mom. We're a whatever. Those are things that are part of our identity. But when we talk about this secret identity, this identity that we have in Christ, things tend to look a little bit different. And so what we're going to do each week in this series is that we're going to look at what our identity in Christ looks like. And so here's what we're going to do. I, I know you're probably you're, you're, you're sick and tired of, of standing and sitting down and standing and sitting down. I'm going to get stand up one more time because I think that's important for us. Hey, you can stand up right now for us to stand uh, into the, to the authority of God's word. And so here's what we're going to do is I'm going to read... 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. That's kind of our, our key verse for this whole series. This is our key verse together. And so I'm going to read it um, out loud. But every time that you see a bolded word, I want you to speak it with me. Because I, I think that we need to proclaim this together as a church. Amen? The, this is not about me. This is not about the staff. This is about us as a church. It's about who you are and your identity in Christ. And so let's read this. I want you guys to read the bolded words. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once... You had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Amen. You guys can take a seat. That's a good truth, right? And see, the funny thing about 
those things that you just read, and Mark touched on this a little bit, those aren't aren't aspirational characteristics. Those aren't something that you gain over time. Those are things that you are because of Christ. If you call yourself a Christian or a follower of Christ, you are those things. That is your new identity. Those are, are you, th- th- there's things in your life that you may call yourself, you, 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 your, your name, your location, your job. Those are all things that can change. Mark talked about you can change your name, you can change your job, you can change your location. Those are things that can change, but your identity in Christ, it does not change. Those things that we just read are you. You are those things when you say yes to Jesus. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about for these next few weeks. Here's what I want to do. Um, I want you to raise your hand. This South Campus is for you as well. I want you to raise your hand if you have an older sibling. Raise your hand if you've got an older sibling. Well, like most of us. That's good. Me too. Um, now, when I think back on my childhood, um, there is one word in particular that I think of. If I had to sum my childhood up into one word, it would be mercy. Now, when I say that, I don't mean like mercy. When I can sum my childhood up in one word, it's mercy. Like mercy. Because I had an older brother. He was three years older than me. He was bigger than me. He was stronger than me. And that guy knew how to put a little brother in a headlock. Like, like my scalp today is still affected by all the noogies that I received from my older brother. And I received a ton of wedgies in my lifetime, right? All the younger siblings nodding. You know, you're not saying amen, but you're nodding, yep. And so, for whatever reason, in my household, when you got put in a headlock... Or when you were given a wedgie by your older sibling, the word, the key word to get rid of it was mercy. And so my childhood is summed up in that word, mercy. Stop it. Mercy. And then that word would be quickly followed up with mom or dad. And I'd try to get my brother in trouble. And that's what mercy is. Mercy is avoiding some kind of punishment. But you have received mercy, as our first Peter 2 verse says. And so there are two kinds of ways that you can experience mercy. You can have mercy on somebody, or you can receive mercy from somebody. Those are the two kinds of mercy that we're talking about. To have mercy on someone is to have compassion on a person or persons in whom you have the ability to punish. So my brother had the ability to punish his little brother. He would put him in a headlock. He would give him a noogie, whatever the case may be. And then the other kind of mercy is to receive mercy from somebody. And that's to submit to an authority. To give in to something that is stronger, a power that is greater than you. And that was me. I had to give in to the strength of my big brother. I had to receive mercy. And so your identity in Christ is found in one of those two kinds of mercy. 
You either receive it or you give it. That is your identity. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, one of the most popular stories that Jesus told during his ministry was a story called the Good Samaritan. And if you've grown up in church at all, you've probably heard a ton of sermons on the Good Samaritan. At some point, if they haven't already, your kids will be in CP Kids and they will learn about the Good Samaritan. I mean, it's a popular story. People who don't even go to church, they, they recognize the story of the Good Samaritan. But here's the thing is we're, we're going to talk about the Good Samaritan, but when I read it, and as I've been praying for you, as we receive God's word together, something hit me about this story. And it's not what we think. I think for us this weekend, that, that this is not about what the Good Samaritan did. That that's not applicable to us right now. In fact, the Good Samaritan is more about who he was the story is not about what was done, but who he was, his identity. So that's where we're going to kind of land. And so um, if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And here's the thing. If you don't have a Bible, like you don't own one, we want to give you one. Uh, and so we would love for you to have one. If, and literally, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to stick up your hand right now. One of our volunteers will actually give you one. Same thing at South Campus. If, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one. We believe that this thing gives life. We believe that this is important for you. We believe it's life-changing for you. And if you don't have one, just stick your hand up, and somebody will get one to you. But we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 10. But before we jump right into the story of the Good Samaritan, there's a really, really fascinating an important story that comes immediately before it. And so this is Luke 10, starting at verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law, so let's put this in our context. This is a lawyer, okay? This is someone who grew up Jewish and knew the law. An expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So what's important about this little conversation is that Jesus know he, he knows he's getting set up for something. Because this guy is an expert on religious law. So why is he asking Jesus about the law? He already knows everything about it. And so I love how Jesus doesn't actually answer his question. He just gives him another question to answer the question. Because he knows that something is up. He knows that this guy is testing him for some reason. And then this is the next verse, Luke 10, 29. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? There it is. 
this is the loaded question. This is the thing that he asks Jesus that he needs some clarification on. He needs a little bit of understanding. It's because he has a gripe with Jesus of some sort. He, he knew, already knew the answer to the question that he had asked Jesus, but this, this is trying to set Jesus up for something else. And so obviously he probably has a problem with Jesus. And so he brings up this next question, well, well, who is my neighbor? And therein lies the conflict in this conversation. Because at this point, Jesus is teaching and he's healing and people are following him like crazy. And they're, they, they're, they want to know what is up with this new rabbi, with this Jesus guy. And so he asks him, who is my neighbor, and that's because he knows that Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of neighbors, a bunch of people that Jewish people typically wouldn't hang around with. Jesus is hanging out with hookers and tax collectors, thieves, and other reputable sinners. And so this guy is trying to trap him and saying, well, who is my neighbor then? So he asks him another question, and again, Jesus doesn't actually give him an answer but he doesn't give him a question either. He tells him this story, the, the good Samaritan. Jesus replied with a story. Verse 30, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him for half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, which someone who works in the temple would probably know the, a lot of religious law. So Jesus is kind of trying to sneak this lawyer into the story, maybe just a little bit. A, a, a temple assistant passed him by as well. He walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Has anyone ever told you to take a hike? Oh, well, yeah. Like, it's like take a hike is like the Christian version of go somewhere else, all right? Take a hike. Uh, when I was a kid, my mom's euphemism for <clears throat> take a hike was, oh, go jump off a cliff. When you would stress Jean out, or, or when you would make fun of her, Mean Jean would say, oh, go jump off a cliff. Do you think that Jesus is ever the type of guy to tell someone to go take a hike? To go jump off a cliff? Because if you knew anything about the road that goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it might not be what you think. Now, let, let's take a look at it. In fact, the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho is the side of a mountain. And then there's a road, and then there's a drop-off. There's a cliff, and it does this for miles. And so when Jesus is telling this story, he's saying this man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and the man was beaten on the side of the road, and as this priest and as this temple assistant happened to walk by, Jesus is being funny. He says, they went to the other side. What's on the other side? Nothing. He's telling them to take a hike. 
He's saying that these people cross the road and aren't showing any mercy on this man. He said, you might as well just jump off a cliff. You might, as, you might as well just cross the road because not having mercy on your brother or sister leads to death. Maybe not physical death, but maybe a spiritual death. When we don't show mercy for one another, we might as well take a hike. I like it. I like he's being funny. You can disagree, that's all right. And so not only has Jesus kind of put this lawyer in the story a little bit and kind of telling him to jump off a cliff, maybe. Then he follows up with this in verse 33 to really tick the guy off. He says, then a despised Samaritan came along. Now, if you don't know, Jewish people didn't like Samaritans. They didn't like him at all. Samaritans, um, back when Israel was in Babylonian exile, um, basically the Jewish people at that culture mixed with the Assyrians, like their bitter enemy. And when those two cultures came together, they started making babies, which turned into Samaritans. And to the Jewish religious expert, Samaritans, like you don't talk to them. Like, you don't hang out with them, you don't touch them, you don't live by them, you don't communicate with them, you don't share food with them. Like, these people hated Samaritans. And then Jesus brings up this good Samaritan in verse 33, a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Uh Uh-oh. Now, like, now he's really going to take this guy off. A few weeks ago, when Pastor John was preaching... He talked about how uh, compassion for someone is an emotion. And the action of that compassion is what? Do you remember? No one remembers? You didn't listen? You can go back three weeks ago and listen to Pastor John. Mercy. If compassion is an emotion, mercy is the action of that compassion. And so we kind of see where he's going now. Verse 34. Go over to him, the Samaritan, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say his name. He couldn't even call him a Samaritan. He hated him so much. He couldn't even refer to him as to, by who he was, his identity as a Samaritan. He hated him so much. He couldn't even call him a Samaritan. He called him the one. The guy who had mercy. Then Jesus said, yeah, now go and do the same. That's hard. That's hard stuff. Because this story is not about what the good Samaritan did. It's about who he was. It was about his identity to this religious expert. It was about who did 
the healing and the helping. It's about who had mercy, not about the mercy itself. That's beside the point at this, at this time. For us, this weekend, it's not about what he did. It's about who he was. And that's hard. See, to this religious expert, there's no such thing as a, a good Samaritan. That's an oxymoron to him. Like, that doesn't exist in his world. Good Samaritans aren't a thing. And so, at this point, he's, he's feeling a little bit uncomfortable. He's like, well, I don't want to have mercy on that person. And so, this is where Jesus takes us, the reader, and puts us in the story. And he's looking at us as we read his word, and he's saying, who is the Samaritan in your life? Place yourself in that man's shoes just for a moment. Who is the Samaritan in your life that you have so much difficulty being merciful to? Is it the good homosexual? Is it, is it the good Islamic Syrian family down the road? Is it the good ex-wife or ex-husband? Is it the good conservative or the good liberal? Like, uh, who is it? Who is the Samaritan in your life where you're just like, I don't know. I want to cross. I'll, I'll ignore that for now. I'll just keep going. And oh, there's a cliff. Who is the Samaritan? He, he said something I didn't like. Sorry. That's what this thing does sometimes. Like this is meant to make, this story is actually meant to make us uncomfortable. This story is not about, it's not a feel-good story about a guy who helped someone. It's a story that makes, that puts us the center of attention. It says, who is the Samaritan in your life? You don't have to, you don't have to agree with everyone. You don't have to like everyone. You, you don't have to, to be in the same room as these people all the time. But sometimes we need to show mercy. Ouch. It's meant to make us a little uncomfortable. Let's flip the script a little bit for a moment. I want to ask you a question. Again, I want you to raise your hand because I have a feeling that they're all going to go up. At any point in your life, has anyone ever said something about you that was not true? Raise your hand. Said something about you that what? Yeah, exactly. And when someone says something about you that's not true, maybe sometimes you find yourself uh, in the position where you don't have an alibi. You, you, don't, you don't have an excuse. No one else knows that you were at home binge-watching Netflix. No, you, no one knows where you were. You didn't do it, but you don't have the proof. And so when that happens, when, when someone says something about us that's not true, we want justice. We want justice. Oh, God, give me justice because I'm innocent. That's because justice is a friend to the innocent. Now, again, we're going to raise our hands. If this is you, has anyone ever said something about you that was true? And you didn't want anybody else to know, right? And you're just like, no, no, shh, shut up. Like, you can't, don't say that about me. And it's not because you, it's not because what they're saying is bad. It's because it's true. And you're like, don't, 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 don't. You're guilty. Like you did it. And so you don't want people to know. And so if you do something 
or someone says something about you that is true, you don't get on your knees and say, oh, Lord, give me justice. No. You say, Lord, give me mercy. Give me mercy. And so you did it. Like you're guilty. You, you, you slept with that person. You, you stole that thing. You were in that place you should not have been. You cheated on that test you should not have cheated in. And yet, we're saying, oh, Lord, just give me justice. No. No, you say, Lord, give me mercy. Because I am guilty as charged. And so when I get to heaven, like when I burst through those pearly gates and get into the presence of God, and I'm going to do my best T.D. Jakes impression here, I'm not going to get on my knees and say, oh Lord, give me justice for all the stuff I've done wrong. I don't want God's justice. That would be terrifying. Or rather, I'm going to get on my knees and say, oh Lord, give me mercy. Because when we're in the presence of God, there can be no darkness, only light, only good, only his mercy. Has anybody here ever experienced God's mercy? No, 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 no. You're not going to get away with that. If you've ever experienced, like, like I'm a worship leader, I guess, by trade, and When I say, have you experienced God's mercy, and because you are guilty or you were at some point, like that's that's worship praise right there. When someone says, have you ever received the mercy of God, you start to clap your hands and you say, thank you, Jesus. So have you ever received the mercy of God? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Because you're guilty. And I am too. And we are too. We are guilty. And I have a dirty laundry list that I don't have time to read through tonight. I might be more guilty than any of you here. But thank God for his mercy. Thank God that he looked at a wretch like me and said, receive it. Receive my mercy. Somebody help me. So, you're guilty. I am too. And so, but mercy is this cyclical thing. I don't deserve it, but he gives it to me anyway. This is what it says in Matthew 5, verse 7. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You you don't get it if you don't give it. But you, you don't get it. Unless you've received it. I mean like received it from God. You don't get mercy quite until you receive the kind of mercy that God gives us. That guilt is gone. So you don't give mercy unless you get it. But you don't get it unless you've received it. Right? This is what Romans 9 says on it starting at verse 15 about making mercy a part of your identity. God says, I will show to anyone I choose. I will show mercy to anyone I choose. And I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides 
to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. You can't choose mercy. You can't pay for mercy. Your tithe does not go towards mercy. You, you can even try to beg for it. But when we say yes to Jesus, he's saying, now you can receive my mercy. This is part of your identity now. This is not an aspirational characteristic. When you submit to the authority of God, you receive his mercy. Amen? When you give in to the power and the strength of Almighty God, you get to receive his mercy. You can't choose it or work for it or pay for it. You receive it because you finally get it when you say yes to Jesus. It continues on Romans 9, starting at verse 22. Even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy. If you've received that mercy, someone say amen. Like four of you? Goodness. Who are prepared in advance for glory. And we are among, that's us church, we are among those whom he selected both from the Jews and from the Gentiles and the Samaritans and the whatever. And the whatever. And the whatever. And you because you're guilty. And me because I was guilty. And us because we're guilty. It goes on and on and on. This is us right here. You have received it because of your identity. So when you say yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to his mercy. God is capable of putting you in a headlock and giving you a scalp-rousing noogie. And we're saying mercy. Lord, just give me mercy. Mercy. We don't deserve it, but we get it. And then here's the hard part. The hard part comes that when we understand, when we get it, when we have received God's mercy, the hard part is having to give it out to everybody else. When we cross, when we're going down the road and we see someone on the side of the road who's hurt and bruised and beaten and we go to the other side, that's not mercy. And look, I understand that it's tough. It's hard to try and give the same kind of mercy that we've received from God. It's hard because there are people that we don't necessarily agree with. And there are people who are, are, have a different political affiliation. And, and there are people who just have a different set of beliefs than us. There are some people who you just don't like. There are those employees who quit on you. There are those, those family members who have distressed you. There are those people in your life that have harmed you. And it's hard to give mercy. It's hard to give the same kind of mercy that God gave us because those people might not deserve it. But guess what? You didn't either. I didn't either. But God says, for those who give mercy, I will show mercy. It's hard. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you an opportunity to take care of some stuff. And when I say that, I, I recognize that it's hard for us to deal with some stuff in a public forum like this. But there are some of us 
who have some Samaritans in our lives that we just have not shown mercy to. Because it's hard. It's tough. I get it. But these altars are open for your church, this kingdom people together. It's for us to support one another and pray for one another. And so I'm going to ask that as we worship Jesus, as we kind of respond in worship, that you come to the altar if you need to. Or maybe you just need to put your head down in your seat. Maybe you need to grab someone and say, would you come pray with me? And look, I get that people don't like getting up because as soon as you get up, the people, you might think the people around you are, are, are saying like, oh, what's, what did that person do? What's wrong with that person? But that's not the case. This is for us to support one another in prayer. Grab somebody with you when you go. And then people will look at them and say, well, which one of them did something wrong? But we are a church who need one another. We need community. We need to be doing this thing together. We need to take care of some of this stuff together. And so I'm going to ask as we begin to worship, as we begin to respond in such a way, that you come to the altar if you need to. You bring somebody with you. There are people here who want to pray with you, who want to support you in that way. If there's someone in your life or something or, uh, you know, a group or a church or whatever that you just, you don't know quite how to give mercy, bring it to the altar. Maybe not the physical altar, maybe just the altar of your heart and say, God, Holy Spirit, show me how to be merciful because I didn't deserve it. And even though that person or those people or that thing doesn't deserve it, I didn't either. So let's come to the altar and bring our worship, bring our stuff, bring our mercy.